She gets a knock at the doors like 6 a.m. and several armed FBI agents were at her door. Welcome to Beyond Unstoppable, the podcast that explores the intersection of biology, psychology, and technology. Here is your host, Ben Angel. Entrepreneurship is a roller coaster marked by dizzying heights and daunting setbacks. But what if we told you that these setbacks, the glitches in your matrix of success, can be your most potent breakthrough? Today, we unpack the secret art of embracing setbacks with Amy Schoenthal, renowned journalist, Forbes Women top contributor, marketing executive, and author of The Setback Cycle. Navigating through topics like the rise of toxic positivity, the enigmatic dopamine dip, to the four-phase process of the setback cycle. Amy offers us a roadmap to maneuver setbacks into stepping stones. And if you like what you hear, please give us a rating and review. Your support means the world to us and helps us reach more listeners who are ready to become unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Ben Angel's new book, The Wolf is at the Door, How to Survive and Thrive in an AI-Driven World. Brought to you by Entrepreneur. Get an exclusive sneak peek and order at thewolfofai.co. Amy, it's such a pleasure to meet you. I've just finished reading your book and I have to say, you did such a beautiful job of telling stories throughout. It's very hard as an author to be able to write a story and pick the reader up and carry them along in this journey and keep them engaged. So congratulations. Thank you so much. And thank you for actually reading the book. I feel like this is going to be a good interview because you really know your stuff. <laughs> well, what inspired you to write this book now? Like part of my intuition says, we all kind of experienced major setbacks and some even trauma during the pandemic. Was the pandemic a bit of a litmus test for how we adapt and deal with setbacks? Absolutely. And I mean, this book is coming out in March, 2024, which means I wrote the bulk of it in 2021, 22, and 23, which was really like the years of us emerging from the pandemic and trying to fit ourselves into this like new society and like adapting to the culture shift. And that was nowhere more apparent than within the entrepreneur community. I heard a lot of stories of people saying women and marginalized folks in, in the entrepreneurship community are having it so hard right now. But I was also seeing, and that was true, but I was also seeing people doing really incredible work and not getting enough attention for it. And so I wanted to really shine a spotlight on those stories. And that's part of why I wrote this book. How do you balance that? I guess someone who's going through a setback at the moment and then seeing other people succeed, <laughs> how do you kind of reconcile that within your mind? Because we almost create a cognitive dissonance of, I know it's possible, but it's not possible for me right now. I think that's exactly it, though, seeing other people succeed, but really getting into their stories of what led them to that success. The story, the messy middle of their journey generally comes from a setback, a setback of some sort, right? It could be the really small, subtle ones, or it could be the big life changing ones. But a lot of people's success is not handed to them. It comes from a setback. It comes from some sort of creativity and ingenuity that came after they had to either pivot or rethink something. And I hope that by reading these stories, if you are someone who's currently in a setback, I'm not just showing you the happy ending or like the success numbers or the, the big sexy idea. 
that they came up with that they got all the funding for and all the attention for. I'm showing you the journey and the struggle and the resilience that they had to build in order to get there. And so I hope that by reading those parts of the story and by really digging into it, you see yourself in that and you see wherever you are in your setback in these stories and knowing that they came out the other end might inspire you to understand like, okay, maybe I can too. And maybe this actually is possible for me. And it's almost for me, I think being in business and personal development for so many years, I've witnessed the rise of toxic positivity. And I think being an entrepreneur, I don't want to hear those stories of, hey, they did this within six months and built a million dollar brand. I want to hear about the stories of, okay, these were all the setbacks they were faced. This is the mental framework that they used to get through it. And are you almost on the same philosophy that we need to meet people where they are? So meet them within the setback to help move them forward. That's exactly it. And at least showing people how to identify what a setback is. So, oh, if I can see it in this person, maybe I'm going to see my own experience through that lens. And that's going to help me. Like once you kind of understand the thing you're going through, it's easier for you to work your way out of it, right? And when you talk about toxic positivity, I mean, I have a whole section in the book where I talk about how the evolution of something called positive psychology, which is a, a real psychological concept invented by Mark, Martin Seligman and kind of came to prominence in like the 70s, 80s. And then in the 90s, it, it kind of morphed into what we now understand as toxic positivity, the, the sort of drive to let people around you think that you're doing great and everything is fine. And social media has really exacerbated that. And so I think this is like the counter to that. The, hey, yes, of course. I mean, of course, if you go to my Instagram, it's just a highlights reel, right? But let's let's understand that. And like, let me tell you the years of struggle that it took me to get to these accomplishments, right? And that's that's how we kind of illustrate this here. What's the biggest setback that you've ever faced? And what did you take away from that setback? Well, I write about my own. This book is really about career and business setbacks. And obviously the personal and the societal come into play because it's all related. We all overlap. So I do talk in depth about my own career setback, which again, it was personal. And that that happened when I was working in the corporate world at a, a marketing agency. And I went and I was a little afraid to tell them I was pregnant because it was a very sort of like happy hour, boozy lunch kind of culture. And of course I told them and I wasn't always invited to the boozy lunches anymore. And sure enough, I go out on maternity leave. I come back and my role was slowly and subtly diminished. Now there's some people who wanna come back as a working parent and have a lighter workload. That was not me. I had energy. I was excited. I was feeling ambitious. I wanted to go back and like think that everything would be the same as as I left it. And I, I was just like really excited to go back to work. And it just wasn't the same, right? And that's by no fault of one person, but a lot of factors contributed to, I think people assumed I would want a lighter workload. I was removed from accounts that I had built. And I had to really kind of like find my place again and climb my way back up the mountain. 
which wasn't great. And that's the story of so many working parents, right? You have to like find your place again. And that setback, I, because I couldn't direct all my energy and ambition to my full-time job anymore, I directed it elsewhere. And that's when my freelance writing career really started to take off. And that's when I started interviewing really high profile people and getting more visibility and getting really exciting opportunities and speaking on stages and leading workshops for companies about the habits of successful leaders and getting some consulting gigs on the side. And little by little, I kind of like built up this whole side career which is again, what led to the book deal and what led to fast forward a few years. And I was laid off as a round of big layoffs with impacting mostly senior people and getting laid off from my job was not a setback. It was a green light to go start my own business. Something I had always been curious about doing, but was never going to really fully dive into because that steady paycheck is so, so, so comfortable, you know? And it was just so interesting because I had actually handed in the manuscript for the setback cycle less than 48 hours before I got laid off. Oh, wow. <laughs> Talk about timing. I know. <laughs> Do I need to read my own book again? <laughs> I know. I'm like, oh my God, this is a, this is a huge career setback. I need to, I need to go through the setback cycle. And I waited for like the feelings to come in and to be all upset. And I just, I was sitting right here when it happened. It was on a zoom meeting and I stood up and I walked over to the window right there. And I was like, okay, am I going to cry? Like what's going to happen? <laughs> and this huge smile spread across my face. I was like, I don't think this is the setback. I think no. <laughs> sidelined after maternity leave was the setback. So and how, did, how long gonna, did it take you to pivot after you were sidelined? during maternity years. leave years okay. years it was so i write about there's many different types of setbacks there's the micro setbacks we experience every day there's the big dramatic ones that change your life in a moment and then there's these setbacks that we sleepwalk into mm. i sleepwalked into my own setback when i came back from maternity leave i was told the people who had re had replaced me while i was gone did a great job they should continue running these few accounts. And that was totally true. They did a great job. But where did it leave me? Right? I hadn't considered that. And so I gleefully agreed to let them continue running the businesses that I had brought in, built up, gotten off the ground. It seemed like the right thing to do. And everyone was telling me like, this is great. You have a little less responsibility. You have a baby at home. This is great. And so I'm just like, I'm, I'm hearing what everyone's saying, but it's like not quite feeling right for me. And yeah, like I definitely did not identify that as the setback that it was. And it took years. And it it took also a colleague of mine, someone who reported to me, came to me one day and she said, I didn't want to tell you this at the time, but I really noticed how you were sort of pushed aside when you came back as a parent. And her giving me that, saying like she saw it too, was everything I needed to just like validate that experience. And then I became a little more vocal about it. I had talked to my manager about it. I said, okay, this happened. This wasn't great. Let's like make sure it doesn't happen again with other working parents. And so it was, it was out in the open. And, <laughs> but I think I was probably attracted to the stories of leaders and business owners and founders who were working through setbacks to reach the other side, because really while writing this book 
in those years, I was working through my own professional setback. One of the stories that you talk about in the book is the Amy Nelson story. Yeah. And it was, it was beautifully written. Can you tell us a little bit about that story and what happened with Amy? Amy and I, we have the two Amys, both in chapter one, because I wanted to juxtapose the two of us in our setbacks because mine was so subtle, so subtle that I didn't notice it, that unfolded over the court of over a period of, of several years. But Amy Nelson's setback was so obvious and so blatant because it was one moment that absolutely uprooted her life. So right in the in the heart of the pandemic, it was like April 2020. She gets a knock at the doors like 6 a.m. And several armed FBI agents were at her door. They came in and they searched her house. They told her her husband was being accused of a crime. And it just led to this entire journey where she had to figure out what was going on. Was he guilty of this crime? Turned out he was innocent and all eventually all charges were dropped, but it was not until she had to like go on this many years long journey of understanding how things like civil forfeiture work. And she like in order to pay her legal bills, she had to sell her house and move in with family. So this is something that really bankrupts people. And unfortunately, not everyone can like sell their house to pay their legal fees. She was able to do that because she was able to move in with family. But really, if you look up Amy Nelson, or I mean, I, I write her story in the book, but it is just such a fascinating account of like what the federal government can do and the power and the lawsuit was against Amazon. And so like what the power that Amazon holds yeah. over the DOJ, I mean, it's fascinating. It's just so fascinating. And so she really obviously took it very hard. It impacted her health. It impacted the the wellness of her family. And then eventually she climbed out and she emerged from her setback. Again, all charges were eventually dropped and he, his innocence was sort of validated by many judges and, and people involved in the case. And now she's just like on a mission to educate people about civil forfeiture and how it really like destroys families. And that's really interesting. I, remember, I think I vaguely remember that story popping up in the media at the time and yeah. seeing interviews of her. So it, it's amazing that you're able to interview her for this book because yeah. many of us compare our setbacks to others. Oh, yeah. Is that a good idea? I think it depends on the situation. So if you are going through a setback and you see that someone you admire went through something similar, Maybe it's okay to compare yourself because you could maybe get the inspiration of, well, if they got through it, I can get through it. However, there's also a lot of people in this book that had really big dramatic setbacks and came out with this like incredible win. And I, I want to say it doesn't always work like that, but you're not expected to emerge from every setback with like the most brilliant idea that's going to change the world or make you millions of dollars. Like most setbacks are much more subtle. And the reason I really focused in on setbacks was because there wasn't really a lot on this particular phenomenon, right? There's a lot that's been written about post-traumatic growth or learning from your mistakes or in the entrepreneur Silicon Valley community, there was a lot of like fail big and learn and like, it's none of those, but it could be any of those. Like a setback is defined as a reversal or check in progress. And so again, it could be like the most subtle thing that bumps you backwards unexpectedly, or it could be an Amy Nelson type of situation where 
the FBI comes in and it like destroys your family's life for a while. Does it, the setback cycle kind of almost follow the stages of grief in a way? Cause we have shock, denial, depression, anger, and then eventually work our way through to hope and acceptance. I don't want to compare it to that because I think going through a setback is not grief, right? It could be, but it's not always. And I think the the stages of grief are a unique thing. And going through a setback is more, again, it doesn't always have to be grief or like experiencing such a loss. It can be. I mean, there's plenty of people whose businesses, they're working towards a business, they're getting investors, they're about to launch and like everything falls apart. I mean, that's grief. You're going to go through the stages of grief in some way, if that's your experience. And that could be part of the setback cycle. But I, I think they're a little, they're a little different, especially in terms of like the micro setbacks. Like you don't have to go through the denial. You don't have to go through the denial part in the setback cycle. You don't have to go through the real like dark depression as part of the setback cycle. I mean, you could cycle through through it five times in a day, <laughs> or you could cycle through one big one over a decade. I know you spoke to neuroscientists for the book. What were the most fascinating discoveries that you uncovered in those conversations? One of my favorite people is neuroscientist Chantel Pratt. And I think I mentioned her in like every interview I do because she she was so generous with her time. She spoke to me so much because I always had more questions for her. And she told me that people are hardwired to learn more from setbacks than successes. I figured since setbacks were such a universal human experience, there must be something biological behind it. And, and she validated that theory. Apparently, so we have our brains like central, our brains command center is called the basal ganglia. And that's like the center of the brain that processes learning and like absorbing information in order to dictate future actions. And so when you have a setback, it results in a dopamine dip and your brain wants to avoid that kind of experience at all costs. Before we continue Beyond Unstoppable is brought to you by Ben Angel's new book, The Wolf is at the Door. Get your exclusive sneak peek and order your copy at thewolfofai.co. Now back to the show. Right, and so because of that, your brain is actually changing when you experience a setback because it is training itself to learn the tools or learn, okay, this feels like this. We don't want this. Don't do this again. Right. And that's not always a good thing. Right. And you have to kind of like take that for what it is. But I think that's why our brains are hardwired to learn more from setbacks than successes. And it makes sense because when things are going really well, you're just going to do things as you've been doing them. You're not going to adapt. You're not going to pivot because why would you, right? If you've been doing the same thing the same way for 30, 40 years, like, why stop? And you, I think you see this a lot, especially in the corporate world where people get very comfortable with jobs, they get complacent and they're sort of like phoning it in and they're like not really open to change. I think in the entrepreneurship world, you're, see, you're seeing that a lot less because you have to adapt. You have to change in order to stay relevant, in order to stay afloat. And that is why I think like innovation and creativity really come when things aren't going well, because you have to figure out how to reroute or course correct. And what, what are some of the techniques that she recommended for getting through that dopamine hit? I know, I know for me personally, 
pandemic, we were hit hard. We were crushing the sales, went from 170 grand in revenue a month down to 10. Oh my God. Uh, that's like major fire alarm <laughs> is going off. And I was, because I've researched biohacking and neuroscience, I was very aware of when that dopamine hit actually struck. Yeah, and it it was hard, but I think bringing awareness to it makes it a lot easier to move out of it. Absolutely. What techniques did she give you to help people deal with that dopamine drop? I don't know if she really gave me the techniques, but I talked to a lot of psychologists and executive coaches who were more like she kind of just explained the way the brain works, and then I think the coaches and the psychologists explained how to get out of it. There's I mean, there's a lot of techniques. One of the main ones kind of is what you just said, just acknowledging why this feels a certain way or why this is so bad, right? It could be a logistical thing like, okay, the finances are not there. What do we need to do? Or it could be an emotional thing like, oh, my intelligence has been insulted and that really triggers me. So that's why this feels so bad. Like that's why that one little thing that person said that was thoughtless and meaningless is really offending me so much because I've, I've seen this before and my, for example, my intelligence has been insulted before. And so it's all just, it, this is the embrace phase of the setback cycle. Phase one is establish. And that's knowing when you're in a setback and understanding the signs and being able to identify it. But embrace is the part where you really have to take stock of what you're going through, embrace the situation you're in, decide why it feels so bad, why it's impacting you or your team so much. And this is like the data collection phase, right? It's the emotional data. It's the neuroscience data. It's also just like the logistical data, the finances, like, okay, it's a pandemic. We've taken this financial hit. Why is this happening? What happened? You have to understand what's happening before you can start to plan what to do next. And a lot of people want to fast forward to the, okay, this isn't working. Let's do something else. But if you don't take the time to analyze and evaluate, you're not going to get to the answers. You're just going to keep like spinning in circles. And that's probably the hardest, hardest bit of a setback, right? Because depending on how bad it is, we're in hypervigilance mode yeah. where every little thing becomes a threat around us. So those little comments, hugely triggering. Oh God, so bad. How, how do we... How do we break out of that hypervigilance? I mean, I know for me personally, I when I was going through that, I was meditating at least three times a day. I was trying to train my brain as an athlete would train their body for a race. Yeah. What are your recommendations for getting in the right mindset to pause, breathe, and embrace ultimately to be able to move forward? I think it really depends on you as a person and what you need and also what type of setback you're going through. There's, I have a whole chapter on the stress response and how like the sympathetic nervous system gets activated and you, it's like the gas pedal and you're like, go, go, go back to that hyper vigilance that you're talking about. So that's the gas pedal and you need to find the break. You need to set that parasympathetic nervous system into place so that you can find the break. And for some people, yes, it's meditating. For some people, it's exercise. One of the biggest recommendations for combating stress in the body is movement, is to move, right? And that could be taking a walk. Like I can't tell you how much I pace around my dining room and my living room in the middle of the workday. And 
or like getting outside for 15 minutes. And for others, it could be like a big cardio hit workout. And so that's a really good way of triggering the stress response and calming your body down because it's like when you when you are in a setback, when your sympathetic nervous system is like activated, it's like, it's biological. It's like you're being chased by a bear <laughs> and you have to like run away from the bear. And so you have to find a way to signal to your body that the threat is gone, that the bear is not chasing you. And so you really, and that's different for all of us. So what do you need to do? Do you need to take a walk? Do you need to walk away from your computer? Do you need to call a friend? Do you need to meditate? So what if the bear is there and the threat is real? Because in Amy Nelson's story, I mean, that threat was very real. It was. And it lasted quite a long time as well, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. How do you how do you manage in the midst of a setback? Because it's almost we acknowledge it and we can kind of look back on the past setbacks, but what do you do in the middle of it? The bear, sure, the bear is there and you need to deal with it, but physically you are not being chased by a bear. Most of us in the middle of a business or career setback, you can take a minute, like you can take five minutes. It just doesn't, your body it just doesn't feel like it, it doesn't feel like it. No. And look, <laughs> yeah. let me be really clear. Like I'm giving all this great advice and I have all this research and I did all these interviews and I have all the information and people are calling me the setback expert. <laughs> let me tell you when I am like sent into my next setback, like I always want to fast forward through it. I always want to skip ahead. Like I don't want to do the embrace phase. I like, so it's not like I gracefully go through the setback cycle every time I am faced with one because I'm still human and I still make mistakes. And so, but I do, because I have all the information, I mean, it's in the book, but it's also very much imprinted into my brain after all these years, I, I do have to sort of like remind myself, okay, stop. This is a setback, how to go through it. This, this is my inner voice that goes through my head every time I'm in a setback or when something really bothers me. I mean, it could be as, as small as just like an awkward interaction with someone who you really respect. And you're just like thinking about it all day long. Like, oh God, why did I say that? I sounded so dumb. And now that person's not going to call me for the opportunity, for the job, for the partnership, whatever it is. Um, I think when I'm in that mode, I always say like, okay, why does this feel so bad? Like you have I'm, to go through embrace. Even if it's five minutes <laughs> setback, you have to go through embrace. And it does help you work through it. I'm so glad that you acknowledge that because I think when we hear from so many authors, they don't want to acknowledge that, hey, yeah, it does get messy for me at times. But I think that's the part of the story and the journey that people experiencing a setback actually need to hear that it can be messy as hell. You can be in tears. You don't know what to do. But like you said, once we eventually get to the embrace stage, then we can think our way through it. Now, what are the, what's the third and the fourth step in the setback the, cycle? So the third phase, after you work through embrace and you're like, okay, I understand what happened. I understand what I did, what they did, what the, the factors that were at play that I could not control. And here's why it's impacting me so much. You've collected the data right? Think about the tech world. When you collect the data, you have all the information and you analyze the information. That's what gives you the strategy. That's what gives you the strategy to move forward. 
But the third phase of the setback cycle is my favorite. It is explore. This is when you take that data and you say, okay, here's the information. What can I do with it? What things can I try out? It's the beta testing mode. And so it's awesome because it's like, you get to have fun, but you don't have to commit to a path forward yet. So, okay, I just got laid off. I have to deal with my finances. I have to rejigger all of these things. I have to figure out health insurance. But at the same time, I have all this free time. And I feel like the knee-jerk reaction is, let me go take a pottery class. <laughs> do something well, fun that I would never like, otherwise have time to like do. Like sourdough bread, right? <laughs> like During right? the pandemic. <laughs> let me get an adult coloring book or paint yeah. by number. Like that's what we were all doing, the pandemic. But it's, it's, it is kind of that time to explore, explore your deep-rooted curiosity. What did I have a thing in the book called the curiosity quiz, and it's meant to explore what you are curious about in the present moment, but it also has you like dig deeper. I call it like the capital C curiosity. And so like, what did you like doing as a kid? Did you play team sports? What did you like about that? It wasn't just like kicking a ball around with friends. It was like the teamwork and the camaraderie, or did you like going in a corner and painting by yourself. And what did you like about that? So again, it's like, if you really loved this stuff, like how could you take that, what you loved about it and incorporate it into your current situation? And these, it's, I have a whole exercise that asks people to identify what their superpower is or what they're really motivated to do because a setback is a time for re-examination mm. and reevaluation. And so a lot of people I know, if they either get laid off, and I, I just use this because it's the most common example of a career setback, they get laid off and they just start sending their resume out to jobs that are exactly like the one they no longer are working at. That's not always the right move. Yeah. Go through the cycle and really decide, like, what more is possible for me in this moment? What did I not like about that? What did I like about that? What do I want in my next role and what do I not want? And maybe you're not going to get the perfect job, but maybe you can just like prior make the list of priorities and decide what you want to do. And maybe you can talk to people in your community and seek out opportunities that you might not have otherwise thought to do if you were still in that other job, if you were still going along that original path. Had that path not disappeared, you would never go explore this other thing. And that is really, I think, what leads people to their next big idea, their next moment of brilliance, their creative rebirth. Do you think in some respect, a lot of people stay stuck in the cycle because they're experiencing shame yeah. due to their setback? Absolutely. They're, they're afraid to reach out and get that help that they actually desperately need. I think a lot of people experience shame. I have a section in the book called Shame and Blame because a lot of people are just so ashamed of themselves that they won't give themselves grace. They won't admit their failures or trying to like cover it up or they're just like stuck in that spiral of rumination. And then some people look at their setback and they just blame other people. Mm. Right. And they say like, if that person hadn't done that, I would, I would be fine. Right. Like I could sit here and be like, if that person hadn't sidelined me after maternity leave, I would still have my job. Like, that's not true. It was not one person's fault. Like I was plenty to blame for it too. And it's usually a combination of other people, you, and external factors that you've no control over. And I'm sitting here talking about the need to embrace and evaluate and connect the dots and analyze the data. But you also have to do that 
in a healthy way because evaluating and reflecting can really lead to rumination and obsession and can go into a very unhealthy place. So you really have to be careful in that embrace phase of not getting stuck in a spiral of shame and or blame or rumination. Do you think in the coming years, I mean, for me, your book is hitting at the perfect time. Everyone says that. We have <laughs> artificial intelligence is exploding right now. And as I shared with you, I've got my yeah. own book coming out. The wolf is at the door. For me, I feel like a lot of people are sleepwalking into big trouble yes. in the coming years in terms of, I mean, right now the economy is strong. We have low unemployment, but we are starting to see the signs of tech work has been replaced by AI. I think one example in the last few months is Google replacing 30,000 in their ads division with a new AI tool that they're going to be using instead. Being in the business space yourself, do you think a lot of people are sleepwalking into the AI revolution, not being aware of the setbacks that they're about to encounter? Oh my God. I was just having a conversation with a friend of mine. Her name is Serene Noor Ali, and she's the founder of Sleuth, which is an AI tool that helps like children or identify like children's symptoms, whether it's developmental or illness or things like that. And it's an incredible AI tool. And so she is sort of like my person, she's a friend, but she's also like a personal expert on AI. And I was just talking to her about this yesterday. So I'm going to actually answer your question, not as a business owner, but as a writer, yep. because writers and artists are so scared of AI. I think rightfully so, but also there's a way to embrace AI and say, okay, like this is the future. We need to learn how to work with it. And look, I feel horrible. Like I, I don't want people's jobs to be replaced by AI, but I think we were all scared of this when, I don't know, like the internet came about and social media came about, right? If you think about it, we were all afraid to do our banking online in like 2003 or so, right? And where do you do, like, where do you check your banking accounts now? Only online. <laughs> there are no tellers anymore. Exactly. And so I just... I, I think if you just like take a peek at history and of course, I mean, I'm not, I'm definitely also scared of AI as a writer, as a business or as a marketer, but I think that we have been scared of technology before. And this is not, I don't know if this is in your book, but this is not necessarily, there can also be really incredible benefits of AI. So Serene, who I was just mentioning, like she said, what if, and if you're a parent this, what if all the messages that you get from your kid's school could be aggregated through an AI generator to only feed you the information that you absolutely need? Like, hey, you need to respond to this. You need to sign your kid up for this. Like these other things can wait. Or what if when a calendar invite is placed on your calendar, right? An event invite is placed on your calendar for an evening event. What if that triggered a message to your babysitter? If you just like think through the, the applications of AI that aren't necessarily going to take our jobs, but just save us time as humans, as people, as members of society, as business owners, there, there could be a really a lot of great things about this new technology. And so I think just like remembering that 
there are practical applications that might make your life easier. And remembering that we used to be scared of all these other technologies that we're now very comfortable with and just making sure that no matter what your field, no matter what your industry, you're at least learning, you're at least getting curious about these technologies and you're learning how you might possibly be able to work within them versus totally avoiding them. Think about the people in the early 2000s who just said, I'm not dealing with social media. Yeah. I think that's why your book is, it's a great time for it because it's that self-reflection that's really needed right now. Am I actually doing what I love? Could it, does AI actually do my job better than I can? You know, how do I pivot? Yeah. How do I pivot is a great question to always ask yourself, even if you are as satisfied as a person could be in your role, your life, your relationship. So what are your thoughts on, I mean, with the setback framework, I think any setback that I've ever gone through, the first thing that comes to mind is how do I make effective decisions? And I think that's the hardest part for people to get to because once the setback hits, if it is a traumatic setback, then you're afraid that you're not going to make the right decision and you're just going to keep suffering. What is a decision-making process that you recommend to people to help move them forward? Well, one of the tools I have in the, I believe it's the emerge phase, like when you're coming out of a setback and you have to like carve that path forward and you kind of like have an idea and you have a little more clarity on what you want to do. I have a decision-making framework that helps you kind of lay that path. And it, I can share it now. I can give a little overview. It's the have, do, be method. So you ask yourself three questions to lay out that decision mapping. What it's pick some time in the future, right? It's one year in the future, five years, 10 years. I like five years. It's like a reasonable amount of time. So in five years, what do I want to have physically? Like, do you want to buy a house? Do you want to have a vacation house? Do you want a bigger apartment, right? What do you want to have? Do you want a car? Who do I want to be, right? Like who, not just like I am a marketing consultant, but like, who do I want to be? How do I want people to talk about me when I'm not there? And what do I want to do? How do I want to be spending my time? So again, going back to that corporate worker, if you're spending all your time at work and you are not spending enough time with your partner, your family, your children, think about if that's the life you want to live five years from now. And if it's not, if what you want to have and what you want to do and who you want to be is not congruent with the lifestyle you are currently living, what small changes can you make or what small steps can you lay in front of you to get you to those answers to those questions? Now, what is the final step in the setback cycle? Emerge. Phase four is emerge. And that's when you leave your cocoon, you spread your wings, and you sort of fly into your next venture. And you you emerge with, I think, just like a newfound knowledge of all that might be possible for you or all that you're capable of. And I'll go back to my friend Chantel Pratt, the neuroscientist, who says that motivation is the biggest predictor of success. If you are motivated and you have clarity and know exactly what you want to do, you're going to make that happen. How do you get motivated 
throughout this process when the bear is <laughs> chasing me it's like okay like every part of my brain is telling me i need to crawl in bed and hide yeah. how, how do you get motivated during that particular phase i think so many people in the entrepreneurial community go through those major setbacks yeah. where they're raising funding or the business isn't working the way they want it to how, how do you push through that you have to really know what your North Star is, what your purpose is, why are you doing what you're doing, right? I know entrepreneurs who have like a picture of their kids on their desk and they say, I am building this because I want a better future for them or I want to build generational wealth so that they don't have to worry like I worried or I didn't have this you know, community when I was in the banking world. And so I want to build it for people who are in all industries. Those are the reasons that the people in my book found success because they just stayed true to their North Star, they stayed true to their purpose. And that's what got them through, again, like the minutia of building a company, the invoicing process, the vendor agreements, like you do all of that so that you can continue to work towards, again, like that, that higher purpose of like what gets you out of bed every morning. And if it's just chugging away at a job where you're going through the motions and making money for someone else, it's really hard to get off that couch and to get motivated. And yes, of course, if you have been through the setback cycle many times, you might get discouraged, but you will also emerge with the awareness that like you did that so you can do this, right? Mm -hmm. That's what resilience is. The understanding that like you have this inner strength and because you've gone through it before, you can go through it again. And even if you're not in a setback right now and you read the book, You'll now just like be armed with the tools so that when the inevitable happens, again, hopefully it's not an earth shattering one, but even in the small ones where an investor pulls out, you lose a customer that was like 35% of your revenue, how to work through the setback cycle, right? You have the tools, you can, it can help you. It can only help you. Is there any research on the average number of setbacks that someone experiences in their life? I'd be to know that. <laughs> I would love that. I I tried. The problem is setbacks are hard to measure. Mm. There's such small ones and there's such big ones. And it's just so objective. Getting your kid out the door in the morning can be rife with setbacks. <laughs> Losing your podcast studio and having to find another, like that's such a setback. But if I talk to you three years after that happened, you might not identify it as such because you were able to work through it fairly quickly. But yeah, like I couldn't tell you the number of setbacks I've had in my life because I haven't been keeping track. And also a lot of people, once they read the book, they recognize experiences that they've had in the past through this lens, but they like, none of us are like keeping track of the number of setbacks we have. So it's yeah. really, really, it's a tough thing to quantify. But if anyone listening has an idea of how to measure the number of setbacks that the average human has, or the average, let's say, entrepreneur has along their lifetime, along their business journey, please contact me because I would love to work with you. <laughs> that would be incredibly valuable to know. And I mean, Huge. we know how many average careers people have in their yeah. lifetime, and that seems to be growing. Right. But you could also <laughs> like, that's easy to measure. Yeah. <laughs> you can look back and say, yeah. It's a little more quantifiable. Now, as an author, whenever I write a book, this is my eighth that I'm about to come out with. Wow, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> but 
there's always something that I learn in the research process that kind of, it just makes me go, oh my God, how did I not know that sooner? Or this is staggering. Mm -hmm. What did you uncover in the research process in the book that really kind of caught you off guard and um, made you want to research it even more? The fact that so many of us sleepwalk through setbacks mm -hmm. and that we don't even know that we're in one or we intentionally walk into them without knowing. Some of us look back and we don't realize that something that set us along our journey was actually born of a setback and you don't realize it. Someone I interviewed for the book didn't realize it until 40 years later. And so that was the biggest aha that we don't always know when we're in one. And I was certainly, I was part of that. That was my story. I did not realize I was in one until years later. I think what's so important about your book is getting people to revisit those past experiences. One thing that I always do when I go through a setback is to make a list of all of my achievements. Yeah. And I will read through that list every single day and I'll look at the setbacks and another list and go, okay, here was my thinking around how to get out of it at that time. So the ability, I think you've done a phenomenal job with the book to through yeah. those stories, get people to think about, okay, you know what? That was a setback. Yeah. And I did get through that. It really, reading this book has shown a lot of people the inner strength that they have that they don't even realize until they start seeing their experiences for the setbacks that they were. Amy, thank you so much for coming on the show. And thank you so much for having me. This was wonderful. Highly recommend people go out and grab a copy of your book. It, like I said, it is beautifully written and it really keeps you hooked and engaged. So thank you. Thank you so much. To learn more about Amy Schoenthal and the setback cycle, visit amyshoenthal.com. And if you haven't already, subscribe to Beyond Unstoppable and visit thewolfofai.co to get your copy of The Wolf is at the Door today. And stay tuned for next week's episode.